and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the only podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the grandest, greatest competition in South American club football. The only podcast that match week by match week gives you all the details, the analysis, the aftermath and anything else that pops into our head really of all things Libertadores related. We're not quite at the group stages of the 2021 tournament as yet, but we did have myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver Wilson, some really interesting third round qualification clashes, the first legs of those third rounds. And Ollie, we said that any casual admirer, watcher, punter who's interested in the Copa Libertadores should pick it up at this third round of qualification. And I think based on those first legs, it was very much the right, the, the right way to go. I think we had two big hits this week. And then two, not big misses, but, you know, slightly disappointing ties. But the two big hits that we had were certainly two of the best games of football that we've seen so far throughout any of the qualification and lived up to the high standards that we kind of set ourselves up for with the Libertadores. We put a lot of pressure on these games and thankfully at least half of them lived up right up to it. Uh, so that was all grand. Worth the late nights and the rejiggling of the fixtures as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very much so. What did we cover this? We talked about um, should under 18-year-old footballers be involved in the game at a professional level. We talked about uh, VAR, as always. We talked about Santos. We talked about IDV's identity and uh, and lots more in between, mate. Yeah, there, there's not a huge amount to really dig your teeth into at this point because we're waiting. the groups have been drawn but we're kind of waiting to see how they'll exactly fall with these last few qualification rounds and obviously the implications elsewhere on the continent too because I don't know if you remember this, day, but the teams that don't get into the group stage of the Libertadores will be going into the uh, Copa Sudamericana, which I think is what everybody's waiting to talk about anyway. Um, big time. <laughs> but, the niche but also, the niche, big time. But also, it's, uh, it, there's not been much like kerfuffle going on around South American football. You know, Aside from the rejig of the IDV fixture, it's generally just ticked on quite nicely now we're getting into the rhythm of the tournament and we're going to lose some big teams regardless so we're kind of prepared for that expectation it's not a shock to see big teams dropping out at this round because they're all relatively big sides so we're just kind of sitting back I think well I know I am sitting back and just enjoying the ride really just drinking it in all things Copa Libertadores all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls enjoy the pods <laughs> Pulling it back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Aranga pulls the trigger and delivers on Binacional's Libertadores debut. They lead against Sao Paulo. A racing club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one. Of the Copa Libertadores group stage. <laughs> Until the final. That's good. Because at the moment it's a bit like, I know that you know that I know that it's there. But it's, uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll bring it closer. Um, Wilson, third round of qualification for the, for the Copa Libertadores then. I know we said that if you missed the first and second round of qualification for the group stages for the Libertadores, that was totally fair enough. As a fan, as a punter, I can completely understand people bypassing those two phases of qualification. But we said prior to this that it was worth picking up the tournament at this stage. And I think we saw in the four 
games this week, the first leg of those four games in the third round of qualification before the group stages, that it definitely was worth picking up the tournament at this stage. Um, let's start, Ollie, with the best game of the four, Independiente del Valle against Gremio. I know I usually uh, defer to you on all things Independiente del Valle. I'll just give you my thoughts on the, on, on the game, mate, before I kind of let you uh, carry on. Because as soon as we opened up the, the Zoom call today, you were sort of off already to, wanted to talk about it. <laughs> um, they won 2-1 on the night. Uh, Gremio took the lead through Diego Souza. And I just wanted to make a point about this goal. I absolutely love this goal because Sosa leans on his man inside the box and produces this towering header. And it's the kind of goal that VAR chalks out every time for me. He, he really does lean on his man, uh, but you know, before heading the ball in the back of the net. In a VAR, if VAR was present, 100% rules it out. Not to be. Faravelli scores a brace. Independent and a vibe, win 2-1. And you know, Ollie, towards the end of the game, and I know we were both watching this and kind of WhatsApping at the same time, there was definitely a sense for me that IDV will be disappointed they didn't get that third goal. Because at that time, they were playing against 10 men, Gremio down to 10, and I know that IDV were really, really looking in the last 20 minutes to pick up that third goal and, and create a bit of breathing space. Because as it is, gives Gremio a great chance in the second leg. It's a huge chance for Gremio. The away goal, the early away goal is a fantastic marker for the Brazilians to to lay down over the two legs. I think what we're seeing is the frustration that we saw with Independiente del Valle in last year's tournament when they were knocked out to the Uruguayan side, Nacional, in that this is a side that plays wonderfully attractive football. And they play Gremio off the park yeah. for the majority of this game. I mean, the moment they fell behind, you barely saw Gremio getting forward. Now, they looked threatening on those rare occasions, particularly in the uh, first hour or so that they got forward Gremio, and, and credit to them, that Independiente del Valle defence just isn't quite there, and you would worry slightly about it. But in terms of aesthetic football to watch, I don't know if I've seen a better side yet in this competition, and obviously it's early days, we're not even at the group stage yet, but of every team we've seen so far, this is the best side to watch play football. Them and maybe Santos, which we'll come on to later on. No, I the think trouble I, is I, they can't finish at times. Yeah. No, I think you're right though, IDVR, the... I, in terms of just watching them, they're the best side. And but what is amazing is they've they're obviously going through this period of transition, Ollie, where they lost the boss, lost loads of key players. But what's really, really valuable, and you don't necessarily expect to see it in every club when they go through a period of transition, they've managed to retain this identity, haven't they? Because the little triangles are still there, the little games of five sides on you know, whether it's the the opposition's penalty area or their own penalty area, it's all there. It's one two touch, it's quick, it's tidy, it's easy on the eye. And to retain that identity as a football club whilst losing such influential players on the pitch and the boss as well is, is very, very impressive and bodes well for the future. I think this is one of those things where when you get a side that... Do you remember when Swansea started working yeah. their way up through the English football ranks? But everybody credited it to what was coming out of their academy and the style of football they were building from the ground up at that club. And it went all the way up through the ranks until the first team. And Swansea were a great side to watch as they ended up going up through the championship and then into the Premier League and established themselves for a fair bit of time. So it was a quality Premier League side. And I think you've kind of got that with Independiente del Valle as well. This is a team that, as we've seen, we know, uh, we've discussed before, they're a team that build youngsters and bring them through the ranks and then move them on. So 
if they can retain that identity in their youth system and retain the style of football and hire managers for the first team that are willing to adopt the Independiente del Valle style of football rather than a manager coming in and adopting his own style and perhaps trying to fit you know, square pegs into round holes to use an overly used uh, turn of phrase, then there's no reason why they can't continue to play the same sort of football because it must be easier for youngsters who, I mean, they've got youngsters in this starting 11 that played in, in midweek. You look at uh, Vite, the teenager, who was already impressed in this competition the first time of asking. And that comes from just knowing the system that he's in. And it, it surprises me there aren't more teams that work in that way. And I guess it's difficult to when you bring in, uh, I don't know, big managers who want to put their own impression on a side, for sure. But when you're at Independiente Del Valle's level, you know, they're not looking to bring in superstar stellar big names. They're looking to just continue the evolution of this club that's gone on over the last few years. Yeah. And so I think they've been very smart. And uh, Martinez Hayek has, has obviously adopted their style of football uh, and is putting that out onto the pitch at the moment. They, I cannot get over how much I enjoy watching their <laughs> yeah, football. Yeah. And, and look, this is a complete non-footballing side note, but I freaking love pink numbers on the back of those dark sure. blue shirts as well. I mean, there's just it all comes together. Yeah, it's a great yeah, it's little great. side. They've got this new ground coming as well and everything. Yeah. Um, but I remember, and they, they will be frustrated. I remember it's interesting you talking about the, the, the managers and the identity because I remember when we were first in Argentina in 2019 and I saw that IDV had uh, reached the final of the Libertadores in 2016 and I kind of assumed that the boss then, Miguel Angel Ramirez, had been there before. So, because there was the identity was so set, and I assumed, oh, and I remember saying to Vickery, like, oh, what's the manager done to kind of manage to create this side? And Vickery was very quick to say, well, it's not really Miguel Angel Ramirez, it was already there before him, and he's just carried it on. And I remember being quite surprised at that because I assumed that this manager had come in and he'd kind of taken this group of players to the final of the Libertadores, and, and yeah, and I was kind of told that that wasn't, wasn't really the case. And you can see it, I never saw it pre uh, 2019 and, and the Miguel Angel Ramirez win of course in the Sudamericana final but but we are seeing it post now and it's, it's very impressive to watch I just also wanted to say Oli that Faravelli scored a brace um, his first goal is exactly the demonstration of what you're talking about in terms of so so easy on the eye he's got four goals already in the qualification process now we talked about Fidel Martinez scoring eight last year um, the, the year before in the qualification process and, and ending as the top scorer in the tournament but I was just looking at how many players have scored. You know, last year, how many players scored more than five goals in the tournament? It was only Salvio for Boca with six, Borre for River with seven, and Fidel Martinez with eight. So Faravelli, if he gets another in the, you know, in the return leg, he's already very, very well placed to be top scorer in the tournament. I just wonder if this is just a theme now where you, you just rack up the goals of qualification and bang, you, you're top scorer in the tournament that year, which is a great accolade. <laughs> but the only, the only thing I wonder is, are Independiente Del Valle going to be in this tournament for much longer? Uh, you know, Faravelli obviously setting the tone nice and early and getting his name on the score sheet, and that's great. And if you're a, more of a purist like yourself, Windsor, I'm sure you mm. don't want to see somebody like Faravelli being given the golden boot at the end of the campaign. What would oh, be I'll interesting let Faravelli is if he scores... Off. I'll let oh, really? Off. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he's just a gorgeous <laughs> little footballer, yeah. Love oh, him. but Fidel Martinez, you didn't give him the same ride after <laughs> the amazing performance he put in at this point in the tournament last year. I don't know, just slightly different. Yeah, it was great, but uh, I don't We're know. We're going to get the Ecuadorians, 
the Ecuadorians are going to be banging on our door. You've got this IDV bias, this IDV bias on the Wilson and Windsor podcast. Yeah, I do. Now, whatever. Um, but it'd be funny if Faravelli scores another two, but they end up going out to Gremio and he ends up being the top goal scorer of the competition and they don't even play in the group stage. That would even, for you, I don't think you could give him a pass on that. They're not going out, Oli. They're not going out. I, I know that Gremio have got the, you know, it was only 2-1 and Gremio got back to Brazil, but there's no fans there. They're not. Go- they're a better side than Gremio. They're a much better side than Gremio. I, d- I don't think they're going out. And we can, we can disappointed talk about predictions by, later, but... Have you been disappointed by Gremio's performance from last night? Yeah, I think I was, to be honest. Um... There was just there wasn't really that intensity and tempo that that we usually ex- expect of them. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about maybe it being the end of a cycle with Renato Gaucho. Like, what's he what's he still doing there? How much more can he squeeze out of this side? I think the moment really only when they lost Everton in what late 2019 or early 2020, he went he left the club and and he was just that he was just that extra sparkle. And they still got really good players, but as you say, IDV was so so impressive and. Uh, yeah, this game is actually played in Asuncion, not in in Ecuador, actually. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think IDV really well placed based on what I saw in terms of quality of the two sides to, to go through in the second leg. It's, um, you look at the Everton one, I still think Jean-Pierre as well, not mm. being played at the moment in this uh, Gremio side. They, they're still lacking a, a catalyst, the, the Trecoarista, I think they would call it somewhere in the planet I've heard it (laughs) Uh, in the middle of the part you know that number 10 to be the creative spark whereas you know the goal last night for instance it's a it's not a Gremio goal we're actually used to really seeing a ball in from the flanks and a very good header from Diego Sosa it's a different method of attack compared to you know getting down the flanks like Gremio do but normally it's a hard and low pullback into the 18 yard box or moved inside to the top of the box and then something happens so yeah I don't know it's it might as you say be not to be too damning on Gremio, but it might just be the end of that quality period of football Maybe, in the yeah. couple of Tadoras for them. Maybe. Um, you know, it, it, this, I mean, there's so much quality in the sides at this stage of the tournament that any side that gets knocked out is going to be so, so disappointed. Before we move on to San Lorenzo against Santos, could I just ask, I just heard this the other day, just because I've, I've got this in my head now about VAR and that Sosa goal where he's leaning all over his man after Alisson crosses it in. Heard the other day that, VAR should only be in tournament football, but not in leagues. Because in leagues, the best sides finish at the top of the league and the worst sides finish at the bottom of the league. And there is time over the season. That, that is how it is. And yeah, there's big moments and there's defining moments. But at the end of the day, it's a league season. Whereas in, the, in tournament football, it's more justifiable. How would you... I mean, I'm just trying to get VAR out of the game. That, that would be one way of at least separating it. No, I don't like that. Because we've seen decisions get made in league football which are just as impactful maybe more impactful with the amount of money in top leagues and I'm purely putting this in European football but the drop-off from being in a top European league compared to dropping down to the second division in Italy, Germany, Spain, uh, England, France is absolutely massive and we've seen moments I mean we we brought up the Franco De Santo moment for Wigan a few years ago yeah. on the podcast last time out we, we were talking about the um, Aston Villa Sheffield United moment last year which they didn't actually review on VAR and that cost uh, oh god who, who did it end up costing in the end but Villa stayed up basically on, yeah, on goal had, difference because of the point they got in that game you had another 37 games to fix it though that's the point like, no, I'm sorry uh, you were you were you were, you were, you were, um, you were hard done by in one moment in one football match, but you've got the whole season to rectify it. Whereas the point is in like a semi-final or whatever, it, it is so of the moment that 
you can justify VAR being in that. But for leagues, for, and leagues as well, Ollie, it's like that's your season ticket holders. I mean, I think we've been so... VAR's been very lucky in many ways that a big chunk of our VAR watching existence has come in a time where there aren't fans in the ground. Like, some fans just would not tolerate what is going on at the moment. And I'm referring specifically to the Premier League um, more than others because that's the one I've watched more than most. But, uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. It, it was an idea that I thought had uh, had decent weight to it. I think if you've got it, you have it or you don't. And I think we're seeing more and more that people are deciding that they would rather not have it than have it. That's that's the main takeaway at this point with VAR, VAR, mm. whatever you want to call it. But we're never going, you know, it's, it's like, is everyone going to stop using their iPhones and become more, more zen and connected with nature post-pandemic? Of course they're not. Like, it is, it is what it is. <laughs> San Lorenzo. <laughs> San Lorenzo one, Santos three two former champions facing off in this third round of qualification i want to start by talking about libertadores history mr wilson angelo scores santos's third goal 16 years three months and 16 days the youngest scorer in the history of the copper libertadores previously held by juan carlos cardenas of racing back in six, 1962 um that is I mean, that is young. 16 years, three months and 16 days. That is young. I've got, we could talk about something separate in a minute because I've actually got a theory that I don't know if I believe under 18 should play professional okay. sport. But, but we can talk about that momentarily. But what do you think about that? I mean, that is a ridiculous age to be scoring. I mean, I already Liverpool. feel old because I know I'm somebody that if I was a professional athlete right now, which I will rapidly say I'm not, um, I would, at my age... Few, because a few a few of our listeners were really fooled then. Was, <laughs> thought you were, uh, but, but we could be his dad. And by we, I don't necessarily mean <laughs> a co-parenting situation, but either of us are of the age where we could feasibly be well, that It's just more part. as well, like in sporting terms, at my age, I'm over the hill. Like I would be on the downslope, the back end yeah, of the yeah. career. And I, just, and I still think I'm a 16-year-old in my head. And then you see what an actual 16-year-old oh, yeah, is doing. Yeah. And you think, oh, when I was 16, I was dealing with GCSEs and you know, trying to get beers into house parties. This guy's scoring in the Copa mm. Libertadores qualifying stage, but you know. And <laughs> <laughs> and hey, a big goal as well. Let's talk about that in a second. Just, yeah, I don't know. I've had this debate across different sports. I personally believe that whilst it makes a great headline for a 16-year-old to score a goal or a 15-year-old to complete to compete in a Grand Slam or a 17-year-old to be in the Masters, that is a great, it's great for... I don't know. It's great for journalists. It's a great story. I don't think it does much for the individual to propel people who can't even vote. They can't drink. They can't drive. They can't go to certain films. They can't do all these things within society to put them in that position. I think is slightly unfair. And uh, I often think, look, if these young sporting stars have got great quality, then they're still going to have great quality when they, when they turn 18 and, and they can be good from there. But I, I, I've always been a bit uncomfortable with 15, 16, 17 year olds being being part of a professional sporting sphere and people say oh but then you don't get that moment and that moment and that incident and that michael owen and blah blah blah. but i don't know for me you can start competing in professional sport aged 18 no i think if you're good enough you should get the opportunity to play because you think how long an athlete's career potentially is well you can (sighs) you know his career could be taken away in two weeks time but at least he's had an opportunity in that moment to play first team football with right, you're taking, yeah. his side in the Libertadores and he's scored and he's made a name for himself and he's got a record. If you if you have the skills. Yeah, but Ollie, if he's if 
yeah, he'll still have the skills at 18, though. But he's obviously going to... There's elements of character building, of socialising, of education that he's going to miss out on in the next, you know, couple I of mean, years. I mean, if now. we're getting into, if we're getting uh, into uh, this, uh, then uh, <laughs> let's settle in. No, I just do think that there's two very different sides to look at it. Because I, I think sporting ability-wise, if you can, you should definitely be playing. If, if you are an asset to your team, that team has you under contract, you want to play, they want you to play. It's an arrangement that works. The difference is, is when you then... Work well for Freddie Adu. <laughs> well, there was that rumour going around where nobody actually knew what his real age was as well at one point. There was a lot of myth and rumour around the internet <laughs> and uh, various championship managers. Oberfemi Martin yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but for sure, I, but I never think, and I know I'm probably unique in thinking this way, we should never look at athletes off the pitch and try to hold them up. If they use their platform, great. But you cannot expect a 16-year-old who's thrust into the limelight like this to then act like an experienced 30-year-old professional. The club will want him to act professionally, but it's a huge, huge target now on him. Youngest ever scorer in the Copa Libertadores. People are going to look at him going into the next game, be like, oh, is he on the bench? Is he starting? If he starts, uh, which is probably unlikely, but if he does, like, oh, what's he going to do? Can he add to this legacy he's already building? And, and it's really difficult to take people away from that narrative because that's a narrative that's an easy one to get clicks in modern day sports journalism in modern day society in the instant gratification uh society that we live in so you have to try and separate the two i definitely think they should be given the opportunity to play i just also think we need to always take a step back with young athletes and say if you were given this sort of moment this limelight as a kid you'd probably do the exact same thing you know you'd put something on your instagram stories or you know, you get caught being smuggled into a bar or something like that. None of this has actually happened uh, that I, I know of with Angelo. But but the point <laughs> is, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens in a you know a year's time or something. And you just have to you have to accept yeah. that they're young kids. I mean, it is a kid. I, I think that yeah, no, of course. But I think that what we're doing is we're taking certain players and we're saying, oh, it should be allowed because of that moment here and that individual there. Whereas if you are looking at if you're looking at it more holistically and across all teenagers involved in sport, it would be way more beneficial for them as a whole to have that teenage year experience up until 18, just so they have that extra couple of years where they, yeah, they become a more well-rounded human being. I think that would serve the majority of young sports stars far better, albeit it might hamper certain moments like you wouldn't get that Angelo scoring you know, at 16 years and or 14 or whatever. Well, you, you also know, get the um, the discussion we've had about the attitude that seems to be perpetuated of uh, Ecuadorian footballers. And, you know, we've mentioned Jon Sanchez talking about this with a lot of young Ecuadorian players tend to, from what I've been told from Ecuadorian uh, football fans, reach, to, reach a point where they suddenly go, I've made it, I'm playing in the first team, I've done it rather than improving on the game they already have and they get perhaps a little bit slack and a little bit lazy at times. Um, and that's why you see a lot of promising youngsters that don't then take the next steps in Ecuador. And and that can happen, though, with any youngster in any sport. But I also think that would happen if you were playing in the under-18s or 19s anyway, because in the modern day that we live in, they'll still get noticed. I mean, you think that like Globo Sport aren't sending journalist to the under 19s of like santos sure. and gremio and, and say oh he looks like the next you know neymar and then 
putting that stamp on people. Yeah. It's going to happen anyway. You might as well have them in the first team and seeing if they can tough it out. If you can tough it out as a 16 and a half, 17 year old, then that's a great promising future that you suddenly got. And it may actually force okay. them to grow up more quickly. So what we're saying is Angelo's the next Pele and if anyone even sees him behaving in any way appropriately over the next few years, we should Do you wanna massively. do you wanna know <laughs> Do you wanna know what really actually one straight Insta story and in what really irked me about all of this stuff this week? Because the Santos performance was excellent. Three away goals against San Lorenzo. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't find a more frustratingly disappointing Argentinian football performance. And and to be honest, over the last two years of covering the tournament and going into the third year of really being engrossed in the Libertadores, San Lorenzo are a perennial letdown of Argentinian football because they never produce great football. Mm. They're just there. And now they're finally getting their comeuppance against a very good Santos team. A, a Santos team that didn't even start Jefferson Sotelo. But all of the hoopla and like the face of the win was Mourinho for scoring a penalty which irked me so much I've, I've, I've got his name I've got his name written down Ollie because okay so Mourinho <laughs> scored the penalty so he's been out with Covid for like six weeks I think so back in the the 11 today obviously Ollie doesn't have a heart so he doesn't care about that but no well I, I think our issue with with Mourinho was that not that he's not a half decent footballer right it's that he was given player of the tournament last year. It, you know, against the backdrop of other players who, who, who I felt certainly we felt were were far better. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he scores the penalty. Just just one more word on the on the youth before we talk about the goals. Actually, yeah, Anelo sixteen. Also, Ollie Marcus Leonardo who won the penalty for Marino's seventeen. Uh, Kaiki who was on the bench seventeen. Sandri and Caio Jorge weren't even involved. Caio Jorge's 19. I think Sandri's 17 or 18. Soteldo's still only 23, as you just mentioned him, came off the bench because I think he was stuck in Venezuela or everything now is just COVID and restrictions and, and it's all a bit messy, but Soteldo came off the bench. So what you've got there, and it is such a huge if, if you could keep this group mm. together for five years, but very, you know, they're not a tiny football club though. They're not a tiny club that, those players will get picked off by other clubs in, in South America. You know, Santos, they reached the final last year. So I don't think it's unreasonable that they could keep that batch of footballers together for a few years. And it would be very exciting if they did manage to do oh, so. Oh, for sure. And uh, I mean, I've been really impressed. I mentioned it last week on the pod with Kaiki coming in at the back to sit uh, sit alongside Luan Perez. And I'm not saying it doesn't feel like they're missing something. Oh, he started. Yeah, he did it, start. It, Sorry. He, he looks very he accomplished and on a very good wavelength with his centre-back partner already, which is something that's quite exceptional for a teenager stepping into one of the more pivotal roles in in a football side, to have that link and that chemistry with his centre-back partner. Um, look, Santos are playing great football and arguably playing better football so far in this tournament, at least on the eye, yeah. than last year with a younger squad. So Ariel Holland, he's got a job on his hands probably when they get into the group stage because they are going to end up being, or they are in, uh, you know, the the fourth pot and therefore they're going to have, regardless of whichever group they got seeded in, they were always going to have a tough draw. But Santos are a good side. They're a really good side. And uh, the future's bright if they can hold on. That's a huge ask though. I mean, the fact Ariel Halon might not be there in six months' time, let alone half the squad. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But I like that he's a he's an experienced coach. You know, he's won the Sudamericana as, as a boss before in 2017. He's managed. I'm just looking at it now. Defensive UCC, Independiente, of course, University of Catolica, and now and now Santos. So yeah, they they got a good coach at the helm. Um, yeah, it's interesting also what you said about Kai Kioli because it's not unusual for 16, 17 year olds. Well, it is unusual, but it's not totally. Um, unheard of for teenagers to come in in attacking positions right but to come in as a center back which is a very very different position and perform as a 17 year old is is very impressive and santos i think i go along with you yeah that so far from what we've seen albeit against a different quality of opposition they they've been better to watch through qualification than 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 they have at certain stages last year yeah probably aside from maybe the the second leg against boca um this is the performances we've seen so far from Santos have been better than everything except for that from last year at the moment but you know it's a different beast maybe San Lorenzo will come out firing on all blocks away from home in Brazil in the second leg I mean I just don't see it right Libertad's won Atletico Nacional nil Mr Wilson um Libertad who course Paraguay big big club in Paraguay quarterfinals last season against Atletico Nacional, two-time winners as recently as 2016. Um, this was really... It was quite an open game, to be honest, but it was very, very disappointing, I thought, from from Atletico Nacional. They had, like, a couple of half chances. Andrade had a couple. Barrera as well. Um, but Libertad were the better side. They had more opportunities. I really like the look of Ivan Franco, uh, who's... I think he's 20, and he's very, very lively. Always wants the ball. He's got that... Um, oh, who was the Bolton player, Ollie? The Spaniard with the big hair. Can't play for Real Madrid. Jesus. Ivan Campo. Campo as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Ivan Franco and yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Ivan, yeah. That was it. Um yeah, he's got the same kind of hairstyle, so it's a commentator's dream. You can pick him up uh, really easily. And uh yeah, I mean Libertad a goal to the good and, and, and Franco good was definitely the standout man in terms of the the guy kind of trying to pull the strings, albeit from from the right side. But I also like the combination of he and uh Ivan Pires, who's just a very experienced mm. fullback um, who's been at the club a few years now. Uh, I remember saying his name quite often over the last couple of years of just a very solid fullback. So it gives Franco a lot of opportunity to kind of bomb on a bit more than perhaps he would if he had a you know, a less able body behind him supporting. Um, but in general, as you say, the Colombians just didn't really show up for the large part of this game. It's not a convincing victory for Libertad. I think they could have had more with the chances uh, that they created throughout the 90 minutes, certainly creating more clear-cut ones than uh, Atletico Nacional. And probably will feel they should have capitalised on those and have a bigger advantage going into the second leg. I don't want to be the guy that's always going first leg, second leg, it's you know away from home, etc. But it doesn't feel like job done by any stretch of the imagination. And Atletico Nacional do have the pedigree. We haven't yet seen quite the quality just yet this year. And Libertad is a good test for them. But neither of these sides have really excited me about prospects of what they're going to do, regardless who gets through going into the group stage. Sure. And we also hear a lot in European football now, Ali, about how home advantage is virtually meaningless and there's no crowds and I think a lot of the statistics back that up but as we've so often mentioned in South American football because of the geography because of the travel because now the COVID restrictions are just the the hassle it is to travel everywhere you know we're talking massive distances anyway you chuck in 
you know all these different situations and it, it really does create a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare so i do take your point that um home advantage is still still a plus um yeah and there was one other game in this third round of qualification bolivar two junior one just to give a, a demonstration of how like how big some of these clubs are and especially their performances in recent years in the Libertadores. I mean, both these clubs finished third in the group stages last year. So there's, there's the absolute expectation they should get there again. Um, Bolivar won 2-1. This game was just fascinating inside the opening 10 minutes because uh, Herman Mera scores an... Uh, he... Uh, sorry, it was his error that... Um, it's his error that leads to... Uh, leads to Leonardo Ramos scoring to make it 1-0 for Bolivar and then he scores 6 minutes later to to make it one apiece for for Junior so uh, well yeah, it's got his retribution you love a player away, that makes it? amends very quickly realizes he's made an error a catastrophic one has to do something to rectify it and <laughs> it was bad it was bad you know, he stu- you know, four minutes and he stumbles and, and Leonardo Ramos just rounds the goalkeeper. But it's not, it it's really not something bad, yeah. that you can blame on altitude either, unfortunately, which is, you know, <laughs> no. unless he's feeling lightheaded from the get-go, in which case you shouldn't be on the pitch making errors like that, mate. But um, no, no I, I, to be honest, though, that that equalising goal that they scored after 10 minutes, um, obviously they weren't able to hold on to parity as the game went on. But for Junior, again, that's a... It's a massive goal. You cannot underestimate, you know, the importance of away goals in in this competition at this stage, uh, and and could very easily be the deciding factor. I think again, though, with Bolivar, we've already seen it this year. The kind of chalk and cheese of home and away performances from them in this competition. Uh, they use that home field advantage to to great effect, as a lot of the Bolivian sides do. So you don't take this junior performance perhaps with as much sincerity as you would if they were playing in uh, you know elsewhere around the continent. And I would expect Junior to get the job done in Colombia going forward. You would have thought that they're still quite a lively side in terms of how they play. They do like to push a lot of bodies forward. Uh, still a, a little interested why Cetere isn't playing because he was one of the standouts for them last year in continental competitions and certainly grabbed a fair few goals, uh, both across the Libertadores and across the Commonwealth Sudamericana. Americana. And he's been stuck on the bench for large parts of this tournament so far. And if they need goals, I look. I know Teo Gutierrez is the guy for Junior, but Cetere gives them a, a little bit more pace and I, I think enthusiasm at times. You know, Gutierrez does go missing at points. I know he's quite an isolated striker at times, anyway, yeah. for Junior. But you want to talk about bad attitudes in football? Like this, this <laughs> Gutierrez is sometimes just wandering aimlessly around the pitch. Yeah, yeah, he does get isolated. I think he's just um. Yeah, the years are ticking on and he expects the ball, he expects the better delivery than he gets sometimes. And he's frustrated when he doesn't get it. Um, yeah, and then uh, Diego Bejarano scores just after half time to make it 2-1 to, to Bolivar. Um, so it all sets up pretty nicely, Mr. Wilson. Should we shoot a few predictions for who's going to get through from these four times? Yeah, I think... I would say two of them to me are already like nailed on. I think for me, Junior are going through... That away goal's big. They'll put Bolivar to the sword, probably on home soil. Nailed on at two. Yeah, I do. I do think. Leg. I think the away goal's massive in that. <laughs> if it finishes, if it finished two nil for sure. Check the but odds I, on that. I would expect Junior to get a two, three, three one or two nil victory. They'll win by two goals in the uh, in the second leg for sure. Mm. And Santos, there's, there's no way San Lorenzo are coming back from a three one defeat on home sure. soil in Argentina. No way. So Santos are going through. And 
Yeah. Elsewhere, I don't know. I can't pick Independiente del Valle. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, as I said, I think IDV go through because they're the better side. Uh, Santos, obviously, I agree with you. I'm going to say Bolivar will sneak it and I'll put Libertad through as well. So those Ooh, four sides. I, I, uh, Libertad and Atletico be... Nacional is an interesting one because it's very difficult to pick between the two of them anyway. Um, Libertad, yeah, go and get an ugly draw on the road, maybe. I don't think that's going to be one to watch necessarily, mm. the second leg. That's not one that you'll think, oh, stay up till one thirty in the morning to watch that in London. Sure. Whereas, yeah, Independiente sure. del Valle against Gremio. Okay, so I, I have a problem with this as well because both sides are, are great, traditionally good sides to watch. Independiente del Valle are a better side to watch at the moment for sure. But I think I mentioned this to you earlier in the week. If Gremio get knocked out of the Libertadores and go into the Sudamericana, I don't think they'll treat it with much sincerity. Whereas mm. Independiente del Valle, just because you know winning it two years ago, it, they're still not a grand club really on the South American yeah. stage. I think they would treat it with more sincerity. So if they get knocked out into the Commonwealth Sudamericana, you know, get your money on them going all the way at least to the final. Uh, but sure. I, it would be a shame. Yeah, it would I can be a shame that. to add. I, oh, no, no, sorry, Ollie. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that because, uh, you know, for Gremio, I think domestic, if they do get knocked out of the Libertadores at this stage, domestic concerns will take priority then, right? Yeah. And, and they're a side that have recently won the Libertadores and been in the semifinals numerous times in the last five years. So, yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I mean, like any club, if they get to the latter stages of the Sudamericana, then they're going to take it seriously. But I think in terms of value in the competition, the IDV... Uh, I mean, how how much would you put on Ollie? I put twenty quid. If I did be twenty not... quid at least on that. Oh, I mean, I'm not, mate. I don't have that make much it, cash flying around at the moment. Okay. <laughs> twenty quid is that's that's um, my socialising budget at the moment. Jeez. Let, let's see. Uh... Let's see what the odds are if that happens. But it won't happen anyway because I did be going through to the group <laughs> stages. We're going to do a, a big preview next week of all the groups, Ollie. But let's just glance at the group stage draw uh, straight off the bat when it came out yesterday you said there's two great groups and I agreed with you we agreed straight away on what the two great groups were but I'm kind of revising it I actually think there's only one really great group and it's group A okay you know the others I think is is it's very uh, there's interesting clashes across the board but I think group A is just like wow for it, for you know we can run through it very briefly Palmeiras of course defending champions Defensa Justicia who um Won the Sudamericana and those two sides played in the Recopa recently. And then it's the winner of uh, IDV and Gremio and Universitario, who themselves, I think, have reached the final before in their history. So, so Group A really jumped. That, that's A. probably the best group. Um, it's interesting as well because Defensa Justicia and Palmeiras, of course, played in the Recopa this week. There wasn't too much in that first leg of the Recopa between them, which sets a tone quite nicely for the group stage of, okay. Defensa Justicia might be able to hold their own a little bit as well against Palmeiras and and Independiente del Valle or Gremio, whoever goes through from this uh, qualification stage, will be eyeing the second or first place in that group as well. So I think all three of those teams will think that they could potentially win the group. But Group C is interesting to me. Um, just very quickly, do uh, Group B, Olimpia, Internacional, Deportivo, Tachira and always ready. I think you can look at that and probably pick the two. 
the only thing is i was i was chatting yep. with our good friend pedro of course the uh flamengo fan but we were talking about internacional and their complete capitulation they are very lucky to have been given a group that sees them probably as the favorites even being drawn in mm. pot two because their capitulation at got a good boss yeah though. but something went very wrong at the back end of that season and the hangover from blowing that lead atop the uh, Brazilian Serie A could bleed into the mm. Copa Libertadores quite a lot. There's always something that you don't quite trust about Internacional. Despite them playing quite good football and having some really good players to watch, there's something, it's like an inferiority complex to me, particularly when you get to the Libertadores stage. Um, but Group C I really like, only because we want Barcelona to live up to what we thought they were going to be last year. Boca Juniors, they're either going to be fantastic or miserable. And if they're miserable, then there are teams that can certainly get at them in this group. The strongest Mm. with the altitude. Again, it just, it's a curveball in there, which makes it quite interesting. And then if it's Santos that gets through, that's a good side going into that group. So I think Boca will be just a little uneasy that they could get caught out and slip up in a couple of points. And if they do slip up, there are a couple of teams there that will be happy to capitalize at any point. So that's why I quite like Group C. I even like... Well, well, why aren't, why aren't Santos favourites? I mean, if Santos qualifying are in that group, Ollie, then they're, they're favourites to top that group. They're definitely the best-looking side that we've yeah. seen so far. And Boca and sure. the Argentinian Primera this year haven't been a great watch. I mean, they continue to not be a good mm. side to watch, even if they do get victories. So, um, yeah, but the curveball really is Barcelona and how good they can be after being so poor really when what we thought was going to be this massive group of death last year that didn't quite come to fruition but there's some interesting draws elsewhere you know i mean group g flamengo liga de quito velez sarsfield union la calera it's it's not a bad group to look at particularly velez are a, a young fairly exciting side in argentina liga de quito again fairly good at getting to the knockout stages at least and flamengo on the rebuild once more, the incredible success of coming back in the league. Sao Paulo and Racing Club, that's at least going to make Group E interesting of who gets the top spot, I think. River will be pleased with their group, Ollie. River, Santa... Why are you looking at me? <laughs> River, Santa Fe, Fluminense, and I think... Is it Junior Bolivar? and Bolivar. Junior yeah. and Bolivar, yeah. Second like place, though, is quite a fun one up for grabs there. Big Colombian side, potentially yeah. Junior again the younger Colombian side that everybody expects to be there. And uh, and Fluminense as well, who in continental competitions have been dire the last couple of years. But yeah, that'll be fun. And and River never even bother in the group well, stages anyway, do they? You know, they usually get like three draws in the first three games, win one at the Monumental if it's ever ready to play football in again, by the way. <laughs> then like lose one that you don't expect them, but it doesn't. Shadow was, you know, it was Three points from three games. Yeah, job done, guys. Talking. Don't worry about it. Take your foot off the gas now. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Then they, yeah. Um, group F's um, a bit of a letdown, I think. Nacional from uh, Uruguay, Universidad Católica from Chile, Argentina's juniors, who even Peter Coates this week was like, they're just going to struggle in the Libertadores, whichever group they're in. So even in a fairly nice group, it's not going to be great for them. And either Libertad or Atletico Nacional. And again, Group H. I mean, Cerro Porteño, probably not. Atletico Mineiro are a side that are being hotly touted in Brazil. Big, big discussion around Atletico Mineiro and how they're going to do in the uh, Copa Libertadores and in the league campaign this year. America de Cali, who are... A big side in their own right, but again, didn't quite produce it on the big stage last year. And uh, Deportivo La Guayara? 
Yeah, Deportivo La Guayara. Yeah, Guayara. We'll we'll work on that one comprehensively before the big group stage preview next week on Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. Um, yeah, Ollie, we'll do a big preview of all the group stages uh, next week. Who's going to win it? Well, to be honest, I can't see it not being a... No, we're not going to go to that one. Um, we're not going to win it.